Welcome to Affiliates in Action, February 2017. This is Rick Morin. This month we sit and chat with Katie Frederick, who's the Executive Director of ACB of Ohio and ACB Board Member from her office in Columbus, Ohio. We also sit and chat with Lane Waters from his office in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Katie will chat with us about how she came about coming to ACB, the role of the ACB of Ohio office, and some of the issues that are important to blind people within the state of Ohio. We'll also hear Katie's perspective on her role within the ACB Board of Directors. We'll talk to Lane Waters about the current status of the member certification process within ACB, the significance of that process that's going on now as we speak, and the role AMMS plays in that process. So hi, everybody. Welcome to Affiliates in Action. We're here with Katie Frederick, who is the Executive Director of ACB Ohio and also an ACB board member. How are you, Katie? I'm doing very well, Rick. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, we're thrilled to have you. Um, Why don't we start with you telling everybody what they should know about Katie Frederick. You know, when did you come to ACB? What's some of your history? And uh, that type of stuff. Sure. So I first became involved with the American Council of the Blind in, I believe it was 2004, when I attended my first national convention in Birmingham, Alabama. And at that time, I, I attended because ACB Ohio offered a program where they would send a participant to the national convention at their expense, at, at ACB Ohio's expense, and then the, the person would then come back and report to ACB Ohio members during our fall conference. Okay, cool. And so I, I applied for the program, and um, I guess, you know, prior to that, I'd read the, the Braille Forum and, and the, the Braille Monitor. I, I was learning, trying to learn more about, about both organizations. I grew up in a very rural area in Ohio, so honestly, I, I went to public school for all my education, and so I really didn't know much about the, the blindness movement and the blindness organizations, so right. I took it upon myself to research and after reading reading both publications, I decided that that ACB fit more with my with my values. Mm-hmm. And so, when I found out about the Ohio program, I applied and was accepted, and went to Birmingham. And that was my first experience with with ACB at the national level. And that was a very interesting convention. Um, that was really the first time that I had been around many people who were blind or visually impaired. And it was really, um, I can't think of a better, a better phrase. It was really eye-opening to me. Uh, it was, right, it was sure. just really neat to see people who had careers, who were living on their own, who were doing all the things that my parents and I knew that I wanted to do after college. And I, I met many people there in Birmingham that I'm still friends with today. Um, you know, Rebecca Bridges is a, is a good friend of mine and she's someone who really kind of took me under her wing there and, and mentored me and is, is now a very close friend. So I'm very grateful for, for that kind of networking that, that ACB provided me in in 2004 and and since obviously. Right. Now this is, this is while you were in school, you went there? Yes. I was attending college at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio. Okay. And I, 
when I when I moved to Dayton, I saw that there was a local Dayton chapter of, of our Ohio affiliate. So I called and began to get involved with that um, kind of just prior to going to Birmingham. So I knew a couple of people from ACB Ohio before I went to Alabama, but not very many at the time. I was just, you know, just kind of getting my feet wet within the whole organization and, and understanding what it was about. But but yes, I was in college. So when I went to Birmingham, I did a lot of the student activities and and had fun doing that. And um, I just really felt like I belonged and, you know, felt welcomed. And, and I knew I wanted to wanted to stay involved with the organization oh, after that convention. Great. So tell us uh, about ACB Ohio and what your current role is. All right. So within within ACB Ohio, I'm currently the executive director of our affiliate. So I manage the day-to-day operations of the affiliate essentially. So uh, we have a we have an office. I'm I am a full-time employee and we do have uh, phone phone numbers where people can call and receive information and referral, and that is very popular. Uh, oftentimes, many people call for either them, uh, their personal information or calling on behalf of a family member, friend, yeah. or neighbor, and they're losing their vision due to macular degeneration or their RP is getting worse, and they just don't know where to turn and where to go. So right. I, I try to provide them with with a listening ear and any resources that I can. And they are always so, it's always so humbling to answer those phone calls because, you know, today I, for example, referred someone to the talking book program and they're just, she said, Oh, I love to read. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. And just to be able to help someone in that way, that, that small, small phone number can mean so much to someone. So it's, it's really a humbling job. How Um, how do people find out about, ACB Ohio so that they can take advantage of those services. How do you, how do you guys promote yourself? So we have a website, which is www.acbohio.org. We do also have Facebook and Twitter. Um, we try to keep those updated. We could do a better job of that, but we do have the social media presence. So um, people can find us there. We have a quarterly newsletter called the Ohio Connection where people can read about what's going on within the affiliate. Um, and we have a, an email list that people can, can join as well. So those are, those are some of the ways we, we promote. And we're always looking for, for different opportunities to, to promote ourselves. Um, in addition to all of that more traditional promotion, we, do, we are uh, involved with a lot of different committees and working groups around Ohio to help make Ohio better for people who are blind or visually impaired. Right. So what staff is there in ACB Ohio besides yourself? Obviously there's the elected elected officers, right? Yes. So we have, I'm, I'm the only full-time staff we have right now. Um, so I, I handle a lot of requests and, and things that come my way, but I do have a great board of directors that I work for. And of course that includes the, the president and, and all the officers. And then we have, 11 directors that serve on the board in addition to the officers. So it's, it's a great group of people. I'm really, really blessed to, to have their support and to work with them within our affiliate. Where where are you located in Ohio? We are, I I live in Columbus. Uh Um, That's our capital city. And so um, 
that's where we are based, which makes a lot of sense when it comes to advocacy and, and other things that happen here. So, Yeah, do you do a lot of legislative work <clears throat> at, the, at the state level? Um, we are trying. It's, it's a little... Um, not difficult, but we're, we're a smaller affiliate. We have about 225 members. So, um, we really are pushing this year to, to get some action within our state. Um, one of the things that's, that's happening right now is our, uh, by, biennial budget, we have a two year budget here in Ohio. And so right now that process is ramping up. And so we are involved with the issue of transportation in particular, that is getting a lot of attention around our state. And ACB Ohio is a member of the Ohioans for Transportation Equity um, Coalition, which is seeking to get increased funding for transportation around our state. So we got some coverage about that in December, and we are continuing that that push here as as the budget rolls out. So it's right now is kind of a a busy time. Um, So is this about... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm sorry, Katie. Go ahead. No, I, I always think, oh, maybe next month will be a little bit calmer. And nope, it just keeps on marching by. So that's good, though. I like being busy. Oh, but, uh, I, I, can you believe we're in February already? My, I cannot. No. I, I looked, blinked, and January disappeared. I don't know what happened. It was my birthday in January early, and then now it's February. So well, we're just well, happy, moving right along. It's like happy <laughs> birthday. It's like the summer, July 4th. You know, when, when yes. you get July 4th, the right. summer's over, you know? Yes. Yes. So now transportation, that, that's one of my uh, areas of expertise. Is, is this um, about paratransit public transportation, or is it much larger an issue than that that you guys are taking So we're up? looking at a much larger issue in terms of, of increased funding for what we're calling multi-use transportation. So okay. um, whether that be public transportation or um, the multi-use paths, you know, that people can bike or walk on or, or things like that. Um, oh, okay. Because uh, currently Ohio is 47th in the nation when it comes to funding for transportation. Wow. That's, yeah. <laughs> so we want, we want, we can do better than that. And, uh, you know, we were, we were the first state to enact the uh, ABLE accounts, which is, which is a, a plus, but when it comes to transportation, we definitely uh, are not ranked where we would where we'd like to see us. So we're really trying to, to get the, the extra funding um, that's, that's needed to even improve the current transportation system that we have now. Right. So. Yeah, we, uh, we here in Massachusetts um, are doing a lot with Uber and Lyft. Yes. um, Where the, uh, public transit system here is actually they've identified Uber and Lyft as a more economical way to deliver service than the, the traditional paratransit way. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're actually subsidizing Uber and Lyft trips now for people that would be eligible for paratransit. And, and it's, How's uh, that going? Is it, that working out well? It, it's going incredibly well. Um, okay. I mean, the problem, you know, and, and we can certainly talk about this at, at any time, the, the, the issue is it's so attractive that demand has just exploded for this yes. service. Yes. And so where they, on a per-trip basis, it may look cheaper than paratransit, you gotta, you got to be, you know, you got to kind of govern how many trips people can take. Otherwise, you're going to create yourself um, a more expensive scenario than you had before, so... 
Well, that's interesting. I know I know other cities are, are doing that. I believe Chicago is, and I think San Francisco might be looking into it. But um, I, I think I, I hope that more cities, including Columbus, uh, will will look into this and and see what we can work out. We um, here in Columbus, actually, over the summer, I think it was, we received a a grant for a smart city project, and so that includes things like. Um, bus rapid transit lines and um, smart cars and, and different different high-tech projects that are kind of under the way. But uh, I've really tried to reach out to the folks involved and say, hey, don't forget people with disabilities. If you're going to put a kiosk in, make sure it's accessible from the beginning so I don't have to come back and nudge yeah. you that it's not. Mm-hmm. So um, just, again, trying to be at the table regarding transportation because with with services like Lyft and Uber, it really has opened up a whole new world to us, I think, in terms of, of people who are blind or visually impaired. I know for me, it's it's um, too easy in some ways to just say, oh, yeah, come yeah. get me Lyft or Uber and take me where I need to go. So, exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, it's it's absolutely incredible. And it's so ubiquitous, too. I mean, you can yes. go, you can travel and, and just, you know, use it, you know. Yes. Um, I mean, anywhere. I, I took it... Um, I forget some, I was at a conference you know, recently and took it somewhere and it's just, it's, it really is a, you know, a, a new, um, new way to be independent. Yeah, exactly. And anybody listening who's resisting using it because of, of just, you know, any reservation you may have about it. Um, I find most people, those reservations get lifted very, very quickly once they've had an opportunity to experience a couple, experience it a couple of times, you know? Yes, I've I found the drivers to be very friendly. I actually had one driver who I have a guide dog and travel with him, and I have had some issues, very very few, where there have been some issues with drivers not wanting to take me. But one day I was getting into a vehicle and the driver was trying to say no dog, and I I was sitting sitting down and getting positioned, and I said no, it's a guide dog, you have to take me, and he did take me, and he he thanked me at the end of the ride. He said I. I hadn't been around a person with a guide dog before. I was I was apprehensive, but mm-hmm. your dog is is so well behaved, and I I just he was very grateful to have had the experience. And to me, if I can help a person like that, that that's tremendous. I mean, if he you know he just didn't know, and so I think oftentimes those of us who travel, and especially if we have a guide dog, we often get asked, "Oh, what's the dog's name, and how old is it?" and right. You know, those questions that some days we frankly don't want to answer, but sometimes when we do, we really find that we can connect with people and help them right. better understand us. And I think that's that's something we can all appreciate. Yeah, I, I, I've heard that before that, you know, uh, drivers of, of Uber and Lyft have actually been very grateful to have the experience um, with mm-hmm. people with, with service animals. I mean, I think that's wonderful. Yes, yes. So, so you said you got about 220 members. Yes, we do. Do you have, do you have different chapters across the state or what? We have about seven chapters. They're, they're relatively spread out. We have our biggest chapters here in Columbus, of course, with our, with our capital city. That's our largest chapter that has about 70 members. So, um, then we have a chapter in Cincinnati and one in Cleveland and of course, we can always we can always expand that. So um, we're looking at some other possible chapter locations around our state. But um, 
again, it's just finding the right people to lead those chapters as well. So that's I, always kind of the challenge. I love the chili in Cincinnati, by the way. <laughs> yes, it is very good. I, I like it too. Yeah, three-way. I take it three-way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then chili Great. dogs and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, yes. <clears throat> how about special interest affiliates? Do you have a guide dog affiliate or anything? We do not right now. We did have a guide dog affiliate at one time um, that, again, that just kind of um, broke up. And um, it's it's possible that we can start one up again if, if there's interest. But right now we just have um, everyone grouped together in, in one affiliate with our chapters. So right. that's what's working at the moment. But not to say that we're we're certainly open to to special interest affiliates should should people wish to have those in our in our affiliates. Now, how, how do the demographics work out? Uh, in terms of um, of age in your affiliate? So I would say that the Ohio affiliate is not too different from many other affiliates that I've spoken to or or gone to their conferences. We have a significant population in our affiliate that is, let's say, 50 and over. And we do have have several that are that are between the ages of of 30 and 50 and then and then a few students but again we're always looking to expand that category from this from the the students to the middle-aged crowd I would call them so right. that is one area where we're focusing our membership efforts this year and trying to think of ways that we can not only reach out to students we do offer scholarships at our conference um, to graduate and undergraduate students so that's one way we reach out to students, but increasing increasing awareness of our organization to those who maybe graduate from high school but then don't go on to college, or who are who have graduated from college and are now working. We looking at ways to try to reach out to to those young professionals. So right. that's one of the goals of our membership committee this year. Yeah. Now, do you do you, do you still offer that same um, program to bring people into the convention? Unfortunately, no. Um, several years ago, right around the time when the when the country stock market crashed, uh, or right. 2008 when the recession hit, our our budget took a hit as well. So, we we did cut some programs, and that that was one that was cut. And um, I I personally would like to see it brought back, only because I think, you know, for me it was a great experience. But we'll have to see where things stand in the next few years. We, we do offer, we do, when we, um, we do, of course, send our, our delegate and alternate delegate to the convention and we cover those expenses. So um, for some of our members, that's, that's another way they can become involved at the national level would be to, to sign up as a delegate or alternate delegate right. for the national conference. What are some of the burning issues in Ohio for blind people right now? We talked about transportation. Are there others? I think transportation is is the biggest um, because what, we do have a lot of parts of Ohio that are pretty rural. What about what, what, so, what about healthcare? Um, healthcare right now isn't well. I, I say right now as we're recording this. Um, <laughs> there seems to be a lot of things going on in Washington these days. Um, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> but um, currently, um, healthcare is is okay. Our our governor did you know, did expand, um, the, the, the Medicaid, um, services and things. So I think, I think Ohioans are, are, 
maybe a bit more lucky in that regard than in some other um, states with, with healthcare. It's, I think it could still be improved, of course, but um, I think, I think it's, it's good. There, there is some issues regarding um, housing and that's not for people who are blind. That's, I mean, people just in general needing affordable housing and um, having trouble finding that. And then I think employment is another issue where, um, right. finding, finding a, a, the right job for a person who's blind or visually impaired and not just, not just putting them into a, a customer service or call center job if that's not what they want to do. Exactly. So we've actually been in discussion with our, with our state rehab folks about, Hey, you know, um, just because they're blind, there's more than a call center job available for them. So now, is there specific rehab for blind people or is it a combined effort in your state? So we have two separate they're they're under one agency, but it is two separate entities. We have the, okay. the Bureau of Services for the Blind and Visually Impaired or BSVI. And then we have the the BVR part, which deals with other disabilities. So they're all under one general agency, but but they do work um as as two different the separate counselors and everything for them. So is um, is the independent living movement active in uh, in Ohio? So we have we do have the the a couple of site centers around our state which provide um, support to people who are blind or visually impaired. One of the things with the WIOA regulations that happened was the closure of the homemaker program, which of course is a national issue. Right. But in Ohio, that's really something that we are working with. Um, in some ways struggling with because we are trying to work with our state rehab agency and, and talking to the independent living centers and saying, look, you know, the, the rehab agency realizes that they had to close the homemaker program, but they're willing to help you get something started in your center. And the centers are kind of saying, well, we, you know, we don't know if we want to do that. And so we're, we're trying to work together to make sure that, all of all of the Ohioans who need this who need services can can get them. So that that is an issue that is is on my radar as well in terms of um, how can we make sure that everyone is getting the services they need around our state. Yeah, I can see why you're busy. Yes, <laughs> yes. So a lot of a lot of. Um, things in the air to, to try to catch and, and focus on. So yeah, well, makes for a, makes for a, a good, a good challenge though. It's, it's yeah. Well, you know, and we know one thing for sure, things are changing. Um, yeah. and, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not good to, uh, fret about the change or project too far, um, and start spiraling about it. But, uh, it's something we definitely need to be attentive to. And, uh, yes, I, I think um, it, it's just fun, you know, just my, my daughter, I've got a 23-year-old daughter who all of a sudden is is very engaged uh, in things, um, mm-hmm. just just being very attentive to things. And I don't think that's a, that necessarily a bad thing, you know? No, no. I, I often tell people, even, even when, you know, during during the past administration and, and during this administration, I, I always say, you know, your voice, your one voice really, really could impact something. So please, you know, don't don't hesitate to make that call or 
or write your congressperson or your local person. I mean, now is, is really a time when I think we should be aware and mindful of the national issues, but also this is now really a time when we, when we can make an impact locally if we choose. So yeah. I would encourage people to, to really pay attention and, and get involved if you feel inclined yeah, to do and so. I, I think the local stuff is going to get more important because I think things that may have been dealt with at the federal level are going to find themselves uh, being passed off to states, I think. Yes. Yes. So, so I think we'll have, have a good, uh, good, good amount of, of work ahead and, and uh, ways that we can, we as a community can help impact our communities. So. Right. But in times of change, there's opportunity. As long as we stay optimistic and view it as opportunity, um, I, I think there's lots of good that we can do, right? Yes, absolutely. So Now, let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about um, your role on the ACB board. Um, how long have you been on the board, and what's your? Uh, how much longer do you have to serve? So I was elected to my first term on the ACB board during the 2014 convention in, I think that was Las Vegas that year. Um, so I, the terms on the board are four years for directors. So I'm completing my first term, which will end in 2018. I will be up for reelection. Now, were you just uh, in attendance at the strategic planning session? I was, um, that was, that was a good session. I can't really go into detail about what we discussed, but it's, it's always a good, a good time to look forward to the future of ACB and, and what do we want to see ACB become in a couple of years. So it was a really good time to talk about the issues that are facing the organization, which, you know, again, membership and, and communication and, and all of those hot topic issues that, that I think everyone is, is dealing with within their affiliates or within, you know, no exists within ACB. But it's always good to kind of sit down and, and say, okay, here are some of the issues and here are some possible ways that we can work to resolving them in the next one to three years. Yeah, I think we're we're getting to be in a much better place now. I mean, the financial constraints yeah. that we had aren't aren't there anymore. I mean, it's right. it's still of concern, but it's not yeah. like it used to be. So that's kind of Correct. allowing us to focus attention in other places. Yes, it is, which will help us become a better, stronger organization going forward. Now, are you on any subcommittees of the board? I am. I chair the public relations committee. And I also serve on the um, ACB Walk Committee with a lot of great other people. So those are the, the two committees that I'm most involved with so, right now. So talk about those two committees, please. So the Public Relations Committee is tasked with promoting ACB in general and communicating about ACB to, to folks. And communication and, you know, again, uh, promotion of, of ACB is, is one of our topics. We've, we help, um, one of the items that we're working on is, is trying to help affiliates create, um, web pages with, within the acb.org, um, website. Each affiliate has a page there that they can use to promote their affiliate on that website. So we're trying to work with affiliates to, to make that happen. That's one of our main projects. And 
will probably also be helping with some convention related work as that time is fast approaching for the 2017 conference. Yeah, were you involved at all with the some of the video production last year at the convention? So, I did I worked with the videographer in terms of of getting getting him connected with with people and I uh, happened to be in some of the video footage, um, but I I also wrote some of the content that went up on social media regarding the, the parenting video and things like that. So indirectly, yes. So each year at the, for those who don't know, at the national conference, ACB puts on the Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk, who uh, Brenda Dillon was, was a f- tremendous leader within ACB. And I'm privileged to have gotten to know her a little bit during my involvement. And the walk takes place at the conference and is a way to help raise funds for ACB as well as affiliates. So people who participate in the walk get sponsors and donate money. You can either walk as an individual or as part of a team and make a donation to ACB, or you can split your donation between ACB and an affiliate or special interest affiliate of your choice. So it's, it's a really great opportunity to get some exercise at the conference and have fun and raise some money for ACB as a, as well. You're obviously one of the youngest people on the board and, and how's all that working out? I'm a firm believer that we can learn from those who have past experiences. So I think it's great that we have a variety of ages and experiences on the board and as well as within ACB and our affiliates. I think, you know, as much as we want to all focus on recruiting young professionals and students and and that's, that's wonderful. And that's the future of ACB. And and yes, we do need to focus on that, but I think we also need to keep in mind the, the people who are in their seventies and eighties and losing their vision because of macular degeneration and, and other eye conditions and and really keep in mind what they can offer our organization and our affiliates and and really take the time and learn from them because I think they can help us as the future leaders um, grow into our our leadership leadership roles. So I, I love the the variety and, and diversity. I think, and I think it also helps, helps the board, you know, helps the board look at how, how they can, consider changing and, and moving forward as well. Right. No, and it works both ways too. I mean, yes. obviously the, the perspective that you and Sarah Conrad bring to things, yes. I, I think has, you know, brings a lot of value in, into a lot of those discussions. So yeah. Katie, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you think um, folks would like to hear? If, if folks do want to um, reach out to me or, or contact me again, you can, the best way to, to find me would be to, to visit our, our ACB Ohio website, and you can find my contact information there. So, Okay. What's, what's that uh, web address? Sure. It's www.acbohio, all one word, .org, O-R-G. There's ever, you know, anything I can do to, to help ACB Radio. I know that um, Jeff Bishop is actually on the, on the PR committee now, I think for, well, he's the board liaison, but I think he also is is there kind of wearing his ACB radio hat. So yeah. um, we're, Jeff, we're looking at, um, I, I really like Jeff. He's, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a great guy. Good guy. And he, he 
follows through and gets stuff done. Yeah, he's a um, guy. But but we're looking at you know what can we do to help kind of you know again along with with ACB's general promotion, what can we do to help promote ACB and ACB Radio you know together because. I don't really, you know, it seems like we kind of have ACB and then, oh, yes, there's ACB radio. But really, I think the two can kind of work together in a, in a sense, you know. Yeah. Uh, cool. So. Great. Super. Well, Katie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Rick. Okay. Well, we're here with Lane Waters. How are you today, Lane? I am just fine. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak with you. Now, what's your official title? I never get this right. <laughs> well, and so recently I was the controller, but now that I'm kind of semi-retired, uh, I'm just an accountant now. <laughs> no, not just an accountant. You're, <laughs> you're Lane Waters. You'll never be just an accountant. Uh, well, this is uh, everybody's favorite time of year at the Minneapolis office, as, as it is anybody who's a treasurer in ACB right now. Uh, it's our certification cycle. And can you just explain what certification is, please? Um, what its role and significance is uh, in ACB and talk a little bit about why the deadlines are what they are, if you could. Okay. Uh, certification is simply the, the annual period when we renew the membership of our members. Um, it is, we're, we're a little bit unique in that we do it through our affiliate network predominantly. Um, if you think of other membership organizations, they're most usually just dealing with directly with the member. But in our case, we have the affiliate, uh, between the member and, and us. So in most cases, uh, the affiliate is actually collecting a membership due, uh, and and the dues the dues is for that for their own affiliate, and for ACB. So the affiliate is actually the one that's performing the membership renewal function, and to do that, we created a we we tried to move away from the old paper way of doing things years ago, and we created a software program or a web-based program that we call the AMMS program. It stands for the Affiliate Member Management System. Which, you know, gets confused with MMS all the time, you know. I suppose that's true, huh? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was a coincidence. It wasn't intentional, I can tell uh, you that. I, I, I know. Um, and it, it is a system that ACB has talked about for, well, since before I got here, uh, back in 2006. And after a lot of, of, of different attempts to make this thing work, we finally came up with, uh, with the current system that we use today. And, and it has gone through several iterations, uh, trying to get it to work properly. Uh, but I think we're pretty much there. Uh, it's, been, it's been pretty much the same program now for the last three years uh, with very little change. Uh, we've got pretty much all the accessibility issues resolved. And so this, the platform is pretty stable now, um, and we're, I think we're pretty pleased with the way it works. Um, I think most of the affiliates find it uh, an efficient way to, to handle their membership time, and it's been designed just to try and, and meet the needs of all affiliates, uh, and if, you know, the needs are very different. Some affiliates are very small, and some affiliates are very large with many chapters, and 
many and affiliates have different ways of doing their their certification. Um, so in designing the program, we've tried to make it as as general as possible uh, and as flexible as possible to facilitate the needs of the different affiliates. And and that took a while to get it that way, but I think we're pretty much there now. Uh, you asked about the timing. Um, the timing has a lot to do with the convention because we have to kind of work backwards from the convention. Um, and, and a lot of that has to do with the District of Columbia Corporation law. And we are required to to have a what's called a members of record uh It's it's basically we it's a you know a statistical uh, uh, printout if you will or a membership list let's put it that way it's a membership list as of a certain date and that date has to be if I recall correctly now 90 days before the the convention before the start of general session so we have to work backwards from that time uh, and that puts us generally in the March period. Uh, for when we have to have all this information into the AMMS program and giving us the time here in this office to process all that information and, and update electronically all of these files to be able to produce that members of record printout uh, as of the date or as of at least 90 days before the convention. So that's that's how the date is arrived at. It's worked backwards from the convention. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, the, the members of record, I've never heard that term before, Lane. Can, can you talk, just to explain that again, you said it's it's got legal significance? It does. Um, and and it's, it's, not, it's not something that we decide on. It's something that the District of Columbia uh, Corporation law, or Secretary of State, I suppose, or Attorney General, I'm not sure who has come up with these regulations but but it basically says that that for for people to vote in a membership organization there has to be what's called a members of record which is a list of all of the voting members 90 days before the start of your general session in our case um, so we have to have a list of all the members who are authorized to vote and when you go to the convention, you get that little orange dot on, on your name tag. Yeah. That's what, I mean, since we're a blindness organization and, and most people need some kind of a tactile uh, way of, of identifying things, we use the orange dot because that works for both a, vis it's a visual cue and it's a tactile cue that tells us that a person is authorized to vote. And so as people, as we process people's registrations at the convention, and again, that's all done electronically, uh, when we print out the name tags, it goes out and looks at that member of record list to determine if that person is actually registered to vote. Yeah, and that member, and, and, that member of record list is produced as a function of certification. That's correct. Okay. As we process and update our donor perfect records for everybody, for all the reports that come out of AMMS in the middle of March, we update all those records electronically in donor perfect because we don't, I mean, to do it even by hand, you know, 10,000 or so records, it take a long time to update. So it all happens electronically. Gotcha. And, uh, 
Now, now how is and that the, produces that member of record list? How is the credentials committee involved in this? Um, the credentials committee is the one that has to approve all of these dates, and and they have to approve any changes that we're going to make to the certification process. So, for example, uh, as we have, as we we've, we've kind of tweaked some of these dates here over the last couple of years. Um, as we've tried to to make the system work in a more smooth way, and all of that has to be approved by the credentials committee, and and we're still in we're in the second year of a test phase on these all these different dates, and as as all of this comes to fruition and we decide that the that this system works good and we're going to memorialize it in the constitution, that will all come under the auspices of the credentials committee to to put into put into play. Gotcha. I wanted to come back one to, to one thing about uh, approving people to vote. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're trying to, another reason why we need to do this electronically is that we're, we're creating a tie. If, if you, if many people recall, we, we are now logging in securely into the convention and one of the, when you want to register. And one of the reasons we've done that is because we need to move away from an alphabetic name comparison of who's registered to vote and go to an elect, to a, a, a numerical system of comparison. So we use the, what we call the donor perfect ID. That's everybody's record number in donor perfect. And that's the, the, what's called the DPID in the AMMS program. And that corresponds to the person's record in donor perfect. And that now is also in everybody's record in the convention so that when people register, Instead of the system trying to compare, say, Richard Smith, and he registers as Dick Smith, and the system says, well, we, don't, we can't match that up because it's not the same, and then the person doesn't get their orange dot, now we're able to, to, to do a numerical comparison of DPID, match up the donor perfect ID number with the registration number, and now that takes a lot of the the guesswork out of trying to determine who's registered to vote and eliminate that problem with people who think they're supposed to have the orange dot and they don't get it. And it's usually because they've registered under a different name than the way they are in our donor perfect system. Gotcha. So, I don't know if that makes, I don't know if that makes sense. But no, that, it's, uh, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I mean, the bottom line is every member has got a unique member ID um, you know that we call a DP ID, but it's uh, essentially their their member ID. Yes, and and that's what we're using to uh, maintain the uh, integrity of the whole voting system and our member log, our membership record, right? That's correct. Now, now you know we throw the term DPO out there, Lane, but we didn't explain what DPO is. So just, yes, just real, you're right. We get a, we get hung up on our anachronism sometimes. Well, just, just uh, real briefly, I mean, the, you know, the relationship between AMMS and DPO. Um, yes, um, probably. Oh my goodness, seven years ago, maybe. Um, well, one of the things that had happened when I first came here in 2006, one of the things I found was that the, the membership records were totally manual. Uh, and paper-driven, and being a person that's kind of used to using computers, that was one of the first things we I felt we needed to do was to to automate that membership 
program or, or system. So at the time, we didn't, you know, this was a long time ago, and at the time we created a program in, in what's called Access. It's a Microsoft database to try and manage it. But over the years, that become, became cumbersome and, and not very efficient because it wasn't web-based, uh, which meant that it was local to our own computers, but it was difficult to share information. So we shifted over to what's called Donor Perfect, and that's what DPO stands for. Donor stands for Donor Perfect, and that is a web-based membership or database program. That there are several several manufacturers or, or, or companies that produce this kind of software, but Donor Perfect is one of the bigger ones, and there are hundreds, if not thousands, of of membership organizations around the world that use DonorPerfect for their membership database. And uh, we have been very happy with it. The, the board approved it, I think, about seven years ago or so. Uh, we, we shifted over to it, imported everything out of that access program, and we've refined it over the years. And uh, it is, it's now become just a, just part of the backbone of ACB. Uh, I don't know how we would do our jobs without it anymore. So, so, so that, that that's our master file, if you will, of all yes. of all of our member data, and uh, also we use it for obviously for fundraising and all that type of thing too, right? Yep, we use it. It has a lot of names in there beyond just the members of ACB. It has uh, mailing lists in there. It has corporations that we do business with. Uh, sponsors, uh, you know, it, it, it has over 35,000 names in it. Right. Um, so it, it uh, and we use it for direct mail. Um, and it, it is a, as I said, it's become part of the backbone of ACB and, and it, it's not only tied into the certification piece, it's tied into the convention. And as we move down the road, it'll be tied into to more things, but uh, people, everybody's donations are in there. Um, and, and hopefully some, as time passes here, we're going to be able to handle, uh, be able to have people log in to find out what their donations have been at the end of the year, rather than having to send a letter to everyone. Um, that's kind of one of the next projects that's on the horizon, but, uh, it's a very important piece of how we do business nowadays. And, and AMMS is basically a mirror of DPO. It, I mean, it's a way to input for the affiliates to input and modify uh, records that will ultimately be in DPO uh, without the affiliate uh, potentially um, changing deep. Well, not potentially without the affiliate modifying DPO directly and potentially uh, doing something to, uh, to harm the integrity of the database. Right. Yes, at its basic foundation, AMMS is is nothing more than a snapshot in time of Donor Perfect of the Donor Perfect database, and that snapshot is updated four times a day, basically every four hours during daylight hours. So, when a user, when an affiliate user uh, looks at that AMMS program, what they're really doing is is looking at the Donor Perfect database through the AMMS program. And and we can't we can't have you know 100 people having access to that database and with the ability to change data in there. That's just not a secure 
uh, it's not an acceptable security situation. Right. Plus, so, so, so AMMF kind of sits between DonorPerfect and the affiliate user. Yeah. And and it's the filter uh, that that between the two that allows us to keep DonorPerfect up to date, but still keep the data uh, secure and maintain the data's integrity. Right. I mean, what, one of the key uh, functions that's performed. Uh, in between AMMS and, and DPO is the managing of all of the, the different affiliates a person may belong to, right? That is correct. Uh, when, when a user, obviously, as people know, you can belong to multiple affiliates, and many people do. And Donor Perfect is capable of dealing with that and and displaying that information. So when, and one thing we probably ought to touch on is so people understand that when an affiliate, uh, let's say, well, let's just use an example here of Minnesota. That's where I am. When Minnesota's certification person, their their authorized user in AMMS looks at the system, they're only seeing Minnesota's information. They're not seeing the information for other every, anybody else in the system who's not a part of the Minnesota Council of the Blind. Right. So, so that's a, you know that's a, a very important security piece. Uh, one of the other security pieces is that you cannot become a user of AMMS without the uh, authorization of the president of that affiliate. We will not set up a user without that approval. So, so we have various security measures in place to protect the the security and privacy of the data but uh you can't a, a user could see all the affiliates i mean if they look up a person who's let's go back to minnesota uh if the minnesota user looks at their their amms database they will see only their members but they will be able to see what other affiliates that person belongs to right but but they will not be able to see people that don't belong to Minnesota's to the Minnesota Council. So, so that's how it works. Yeah, it, it's um, a very very valuable function uh, to be able to do that. I mean, it's very. Uh, I, I often, uh, particularly uh, with guide dogs, you know, we're always trying to <laughs> reconcile who's in our guide dog affiliate and so on. And uh, I, I re- reference that information a lot on on DPO. Um, or uh, through AM, you know, AMMS. Do we still have affiliates that are doing it uh, via paper? And, and uh, what does that do to the processing? And how do, you know, why is it important that they uh, convert over to AMMS? Um, most people have converted now. Um, we, we, we do have a couple of larger affiliates that, that have not, made the jump to AMMS. And, and if, if you're small, the larger the affiliate, the more important it is that they get, get onto the AMMS program. It's one thing if you're an affiliate that, don't, that has, you know, maybe you're a small uh, special interest affiliate and you have something like under 50 members. That's one thing. You know, if you're still doing it on paper, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's time-consuming for you to do it on paper. It's time-consuming for us to convert all that information because we have to get it into that electronic format ultimately. So if you're not on the AMMS system, then we're essentially having to do that ourselves in the Minneapolis or the or the Alexandria office. 
and it's not an it's not an overpowering burden if you're a small affiliate. But the larger the affiliate, the more time is is invested, at least on our part, in trying to convert all that paper information back into an electronic format. And and it gets tough because uh, again, first you're on paper, but even if you're using an Excel document. You know, you're probably not doing it in the format that we needed in the Donor Perfect, and that's one of the advantages of using the MMS program. And it gets everything in the, into the same format and allows us to process all of this information electronically. Um, you can imagine that. Let's take a member organization that has about 500 members in it. Let's say, and if they turn in a stack of papers to us, rather than using the MMS program. Um, then we have to go through all that paperwork and process all of that information individually, you know, person by person by person. And it can take, you know, hours. It can take 40 to 80 hours to, to, to do that for a large affiliate. And, uh, and it's harder on the affiliate, and it's harder on us. Yeah, I just can't imagine. I mean, as a treasurer of the base, that Council of the Blind, uh, you know, one of the things that I've I've come to do, I mean, that in, in AMMS, there's this stuff called the the user or the affiliate fields, which are user fields that you can define for the um, express use of the affiliate. You can define them any way you want. And uh, those are very handy for tracking things um, such as dues and that type of thing. But but, you know, we use AMMS now exclusively as our membership list. Um, you know, before we were, we were maintaining our own list, and uh, uh, you know, I, you know, we stay in sync hundred uh, percent all the time with DPO on, on an annual basis. That just makes perfect sense to me. If if uh, I mean, rather than send out paper dues notices every year, I just do a big email mail merge off of the data from from uh, AMMS. You know, it's easy. You know, we store all the email addresses, and every year we find that the data gets better and better. The more you know, we we refine the data. The more we go through the cycle, we get better and better data uh, every year. So, and Base State was one of the the first affiliates to embrace this system, and they are today they they are one of the 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 most experienced users. You are one of the most experienced users of the system, and uh, uh, Base State has been a and you, in particular, Rick, have been a big help in in getting this program to work the way it does today. So we really appreciate your contribution to this process too. Well, I, I appreciate that. I mean, it's uh, um, I mean, there have been a lot of people involved um, in that, and uh, uh, it, it's uh, it's a great example of of, of good collaboration. Um, we've had a very very good vendor uh, working with us on this. Um, who's been very responsive to um, to issues that have come up, and that's that's been very good. And I I, I think um, everybody there shouldn't be any any question about the uh, the stability or the integrity of the system now. Yes, it uh, it it has been a collaborative effort over the years uh, with affiliates to 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 give the affiliates what they want, but to still try and and keep the core of the program. Um, what it needs to be and then to be flexible enough so that all affiliates can use it. So it, as you say, it is a stable, stable platform. Now, uh, it's very accessible and, and 
it is accessible because of people like you and and Ray Campbell and John McCann and 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 people like that who have gone through the program. Yeah, Carla, with, certainly Carla. Is, is oh, a, and Carla, yes, yeah, thank you. Has made great uh, contributions. People who have uh, gone through the program with their screen readers and with their screen magnifiers and have helped us make this program uh, very accessible to to all different screen readers and all different screen magnifiers um, and to try and meet the needs of both large and small affiliates. So it took us a while to get there, but we I think we're there. Right. Now, it, now I, I joked about AMMS and MMS before. I mean, MMS is the monetary... Um, monthly monetary support. Monthly monetary support system, and and uh, it has nothing to do with AMMS, but we certainly want everybody to participate in MMS as well. <laughs> um, That's correct. Yeah. You know, how, how how I'm changing. I'm going to change topics on you here. How's the migration to the new accounting system going? That has gone very well, actually. Um, we ha- we are now using the new system as of January one, um, and we're finishing up our year end on our old system, everything for the last few years has been converted over to the new accounting system. So all of our past history is there other than the last quarter of 2016. And as I, we, as we finish up our audit and, and our year end work, we'll move the fourth quarter over and then we're, we'll totally, we'll be totally divorced from the old system and 100% on the new system. So, we are we're still going through some growing pains. Uh, each day we're learning something that we didn't know the day before, but uh, all in all, it has gone pretty smoothly. Yeah, great. Well, hey, Lane, thank you so much for all the information. I uh, appreciate it very much. Thanks. This is your second go around here in Affiliates in Action. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show with us. Thanks for listening to Affiliates in Action on ACB Radio Mainstream and for your support of ACB Radio. If you'd like to have your affiliate featured on Affiliates in Action, please call me, Rick Morin, at 617-633-7947. Again, that's 617-633-7947. Or email me at rick.morin at comcast.net. rick.morin at comcast.net. Again, thanks for listening and tune in next month for another Affiliates in Action.